In this episode of the Stretch Goals podcast, we're excited to have Casey Bond today, serial entrepreneur, founder of Hand Socks and RSVP here, and also a book author of Oh Crap, I Need an App. This is the Stretch Goals podcast, where each week we'll share insights and lessons learned based on our experiences as entrepreneurs. We'll challenge you to create ambitious goals as you start and grow your business. I'm your host, Robert Dickerson. And I'm Scott Davis. Hey, Casey, welcome to our show today. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So thanks so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the business you're working on now. So I have been in Richmond, Virginia. That's how I met Scott. I have started a couple of different businesses. First business I started was 10 years ago. I was 25. Uh, It was a business for an online registration platform, online response to paper invitations. At the time, that didn't exist. And I had such a uh, memorable, we'll call it memorable experience trying to get a, an application built when I wasn't technical that I wrote a book about it to try to help other people do it and make less mistakes. Um, so that's what the Oh Crap, I Need an App is. And then, you know, I guess you go through different stages of your life, your your interests change. And I, I my most recent business, I started a little over three years ago uh, when I had a I had a baby and came up with an idea for a product and hand socks was born. So my current focus is with hand socks. It's a, it really solves the problem of the protection and safety issue for parents, for children, for newborn scratching, for skin conditions, pulling, grabbing, you name it, anything your baby could touch that you don't want them to touch. My long sleeve mittens stay on and fix that problem. So that's my most recent endeavor. And you've got a a fairly successful Kickstarter campaign for that as well, right? I did. So Kickstarter is, um, it's like a love-hate relationship, really. (laughs) (laughs) You try to do a Kickstarter campaign outside of a full-time job, two babies, and running a business, just expect that you'll sleep a solid two and a half hours every night for 60 days. My mom actually had to move in with me for a couple of months to help take care of my children because there just wasn't enough of me to go around. But it was successful because I planned a lot. I read a book by Jamie Stegmeier about crowdfunding. And actually, you should check his book out. It's green and white. I can't remember the title of it. I know that's terrible, but I lent it out. But I mean, the things he talks about crowdfunding actually are very applicable to business in general about developing relationships and building community. That doesn't end with a Kickstarter campaign. So um, I'm glad that I did it. It was a good experience. We did fun successfully. Um, Blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) I met a lot of other inventors, so it was awesome. So what were some like really key lessons learned? Because I'm sure there's people who are listening to this podcast right now who've either wanted to do a Kickstarter or did and failed. So like what really helps you get across the finish line? Like what's the what's the one thing you can suggest to people looking to do it? I'm planning. I mean, Kickstarter is not something you can just say, you know, this weekend I'm going to do a Kickstarter. Sure. Um, and, and that's really what I wanted to do. And a girlfriend of mine had funded and I was like, you funded, I want to do Kickstarter. And she mailed me this book and she was like, case that you have to read it. And when I did, you know, I planned for uh, you know, over six months for the campaign. So if you're not, if you're not going to plan in advance and you don't have, um, really the discipline to prepare for it, it's not, there's no, you, you won't fund. It's expensive to do and it's not worth it unless you plan properly. So I think there's a lot of resources on um, what you need to do and the community that you have to build before you launch, but you have to have 30 to 40% of your funds locked down before you even launch. 
So that you know in the couple of your first couple of days you're going to do well. And the only way to do that is through planning. Well, the other the other piece of that too is once you get the funding, you have to execute as well and get that product <laughs> out the door. I mean, a lot some of the other Kickstarter people I've talked to, they were you know they were talking about how that's one of the hardest parts is executing on that, and you have you have issues that come up, and you still got to you know deliver those things to, to your customers. Right. So that's also part of the planning that you do, right? It's not just about the community, but also about the delivery. And even so, so much as like, how are you going to organize all of the information once you get it? What's the best way to stack your rewards so that it's not a complete disaster trying to fulfill? So doing a little bit of organization on the front end, I mean, all of that happens on the front end. If you don't do it, then, you know, your Kickstarter fulfills and to your point, it's like, um, now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I agree with you. We should write a book here on the, the, the whole, you know, having a nine to five, <clears throat> excuse me, having a nine to five and transitioning over to some other idea and building it from scratch. You know, Rob and I were both very lucky in that we've got successful ag- exit as founders of our own businesses and been able to move on to more, not luxurious lifestyles, but more comfortable where we can kind of pick and choose what we work on. And a lot of the tips that we share here is for how do people, you know, how, how do people go from nine to five grind to like transitioning over protecting yourself so you still have income and but uh you you've always been inspiring in that in that regard because you seem comfortable doing doing two things at once whereas me it's like i need it's like i had to get out of nine to five you don't yes. need you don't need sleep right <laughs> when we talk about that i'm like people are like how do you do it casey and i'm like well, I don't sleep. You know, my husband gets on me for not doing as much exercise as I should. I mean, I'm pretty thin, but I mean, I don't know what happened to my muscle. I had babies and it just melted away. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say as it relates to the nine to five, I mean, it's just a choice of what you have to do for your family. You know, um, you have to put the work in for your family. And a lot of times it depends on too, like, can you fund your own business? Like I've been funding my own business with my job. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed enough to be able to have a position that makes enough money to help take care of my family with my husband's income, but then also be able to self-fund my businesses. I can hire people for cheaper than I can hire myself at this point. And so um, I'm in my main MO in my business is really delegation and making sure to have the right people to kind of say, okay, you're assigned social media and you're assigned blogging. And I would love to do all of that, but there's just not enough of me to go around. So in the interim, my MO is delegation. And that's the way that I'm, you know, that I found best to balance it, but it's hard, like no doubt. It sounds like you could be a co-host of this podcast as well. (laughs) Everything you just said is like five or 10 of our last few episodes. Yes. Well, you invite me back anytime. <laughs> I absolutely will. Well, I yeah. think the, de- the delegation piece is something I wanted to highlight real quick because it's something that it took me a little bit of, of time to figure out that I needed to do that. I was trying to do a lot of stuff on my own. And I did the same sort of thing as I had a traditional nine to five and I was using that income to fund my business. And then once I decided that, hey, I can't do it all, I need to delegate, that's when the business really started growing because I was able to bring on people, like you said, that were cheaper than I was that were that were able to do the work, you know, when I wasn't because I always found myself as being the blocker to getting things done. I don't know if you found something similar. When there's just not enough time in the day. There are things that come in and I'm working on this. It is my number one priority. I read a book recently called The One Thing by um, Jay Papasan and Gary Keller. Basically says that if you you can't do any two things well. And I'm like, but wait a second, I'm doing way more than two things. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so he's like, you have to focus basically the premise of the book. And I talked to Jay about it. it. Took me 30 minutes to get on. I mean, 30 days to get on his calendar, but I finally got 30 minutes of his time. And I'm like, you are amazing. Um, you know, this is brilliant. And it's changed my life really because in my job, my one thing is to focus on meetings because meetings leads to everything else. And without meetings, you know, nothing really happens. In my business, my job, I mean, I'm focusing on delegation because if I can delegate everything else out, then I can focus on sales, which is what I'm really good at. And um, my, my, my goal for exercise, he says one for exercise, one for spiritual. My exercise goal is 100 squats a day. And so sometimes, and my husband will say that I don't do that, but it is my goal. Like I'll catch myself just like blow drying my hair or, you know, at the top of the stairs, just doing a 10 air squats, trying to squeeze in my hundred. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that kind of focus on the things that matter the most and delegation of everything else is key to be able to balance a day job and businesses. I mean, between my husband and I, we both have full-time jobs. He's a firefighter and we both have businesses outside of that and two little kids, two and four, you know, you just can't do that by yourself. But there are um, Upwork. I use Upwork a lot. I don't know. Have you guys used Upwork? I, yeah, mean, it's, I use Upwork it's, a lot. <laughs> it is freaking amazing. It is. It's awesome. It's like the best platform. I could put any job on the planet out there and find the most unbelievable, passionate talent to help me. And until I can afford to hire somebody or until I really need to hire somebody full time to work side by side with me, I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's that's awesome. So you know, in the past, you mentioned RSVP. Here it was a it was a business you started uh, in your twenties. Can you give us you know a little bit of bio on that, like how it started, and then where it ended up, and the lessons you learned from that that process? Oh man, I feel like I could spend the whole thirty minutes talking. About that. <laughs> that's why I wrote a book, but I'll just give you a snippet. So the idea came like I, I had not RSVP to a friend's wedding, and I thought there should be ways to RSVP that don't require mailing something in or making a phone call. Like I'm just, there's gotta be an easier way. So online response to paper invitation when I was 25 did not exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why I created RSVP here. Uh, But I hired a company to help me. I didn't know anything about requirements. I had no idea how to hold them accountable. I signed paperwork without having a lawyer review it. I put a $15,000 non-refundable deposit down. What? I mean, that is crazy. And four months later, I had four pages of code. And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my, my technical board member, which I finally got, was like, Case, I could write four pages of code in an hour. And I'm like, what? It's been four months. Like, mm-hmm. they charged me $7,500 for like 20 wireframes, like pictures. They, for $7,500 for 20 pictures. And I thought that was amazing. I mean... Oh my God. (laughs) It's just, you know, and I just didn't know any better. And, um, so I didn't talk to enough people and I didn't align myself with the right, the right people technically to help walk me through the process of building an application. And so I hired that company, fired that company, did not get that $15,000 back. I had borrowed all of this money from my family and friends and, (laughs) and, and, you know, just gung ho to get this application built. And I only had $30,000 left. So I went to the next company and and they're like, what's your budget? And what did I say? 30,000. Yes. Now you have zero. Your $30,000 program. Like I told them exactly how much money I had and they were like, okay, we'll do it for 30 grand. And I thought that was amazing, which is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. So 
anyways, they outsourced it to India. Didn't tell me they paid some, some, you know, young person over in India, $10 an hour to, you know, make this code. It was awful. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's good resources in India, but like you, you just can't, I mean, this is just not the right way to go about it. And, and, um, Long story short, I ended up losing $15,000 with the next company too, because I tried to get my money back and they said they would go out of business and it was awful. So twice, two times I lost 15,000, you know, and, and the way that I found the, the, the person that ultimately did the work was just, um, you know, a freelancer and he did it and it was awesome. And he did it in eight weeks for $8,000 and 8,000 or 12,000. I don't know. It's been so long, but yeah, whatever. It was inexpensive and it was done perfectly. And then, the, then it was of course, like, how do I monetize this? Right. Cause I had this free product. You know, I was free at the time. So I'd spend all this money to make no money and that's right. not a good business plan. <laughs> but so you have to read the book to talk about like, then, then what, like this guy built it and went to Washington and said, I can build it, but I'm not going to maintain it. Right. Like, yep. Well, then what then what do I do? So thank goodness for Elance at the time. Now Upwork, right? I found a developer. She's in Germany and she's amazing. But the story that I wrote really kind of goes through the particulars of what to look out for, what to ask, how to surround yourself with the right people. And that is way longer than a, you know, five minute conversation. But sure, sure. that's kind of the history of, of that app. Now it's running itself right now and it has been for 10 years. Um, oh, I, okay. I don't. I still own it. I'd actually love to sell it because I feel like there's a lot of potential for someone to grow that. And I, I just am focused on hand socks right now, but it just, you know, it just runs along making money and provides uh, pretty good. You should reach out to paperless post and punch bowl and some of those other, you know, online um, e friendly invitation services. I should. I haven't. I should put that on my to-do list. I, I know the CEO, so I could put you in touch. Do you? <laughs> we'll do that after this call. Thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're in this. I wouldn't. Niche is probably a bad word, but you know, to me, it's a it's a smart industry that that you're in with hand socks because it's it's a space where you need lots of help, especially when you're a new parent. But then when you've got you know newborns and, and even smaller, you know, maybe three four month old kids, like my son last week scratched his face with his nails. And it got infected. So there's a, there's very much a need in the space for children. And so you found this like perfect pocket of people who need stuff and there was no innovation in there. So those are the types of opportunities like Rob and I look for, which is like, what, what are these industries and spaces where people aren't innovating fast enough, but like we believe could go further than they are. So you've done that. But do you feel that there's disadvantages being a female entrepreneur, even within a space that largely is women centric. We you know a lot of women are online shopping for their kids. So sure. do you feel that there's still disadvantages? Yeah, I could appreciate you asking that. I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is the case for all businesses, but for me, I, I kind of feel like it's an advantage. That's kind of what I thought too. <laughs> you, you've got this great like network of women who want to support the idea, not only because it's, it's something they need, but because they're like, Hey, you know, I can relate to her. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Well, and because I am genuinely passionate and emotional, and I feel like that not like there's a lot, not a lot of. I mean, there are men that are like that too, but maybe not to my extent. And so when when people see my passion for the business and understand the reason why I created it and the extended reasons that have come, I think that that being a woman is a is an is an advantage. So. And I haven't looked for funding yet because this has been self-funded. So it, from a financial perspective, I can't, I can't say I haven't, I haven't gotten that far. Sure. Um, but, you know, 
And I appreciate you saying, you don't have hand socks, Scott. I need to send you some. Yeah, I don't have. I outgrew (laughs) the small ones. But I will say that I also feel like that, that there may be that that mothers that contact me for certain things may have a level of trust with me. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the trust in the community that I'm creating may, I mean, it may have something to do with that. I'm a mother, not that I'm a sure. female, but that I'm a mother. They can relate um, to you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So hand socks, just to give you a little, a little snippet on what's going on with them. So this, let me just show you um, what this, and it flips open to expose the fingers. You put these on like a pair of pantyhose. It's a long sleeve, like a sock that you roll up like pantyhose, stick the hand in and slide it down. And then it flips over. This is plushy enough that babies can't grab through it. So not only can they not scratch, they also can't grab. So if you've got a baby that has a feeding tube or is connected to oxygen, then, you know, the, the, the thickness of this mitten offers protection in that space. And I had no idea. I mean, I created this to be a better warmth mitten, which, by the way, it is. I mean, my children are perfectly healthy and love these things. And I know kids that wear them in the summertime, like, will not take them off because they just <laughs> love them and they're comfortable. But, I mean, the extended use for hand socks is really where my passion is now. So I want every baby a dad. By the way, 54% of people who buy hand socks, dads. Really? Wow. Yeah. Do, do you know why I think that is? Boxing gloves. No. <laughs> no. Why, why is it? I think it's because dads are fixers. Yes. Dads are problem, problem solvers. Yep. yep. You know? So if something's wrong, you know, with your baby, okay, so a little scratch got infected, right? That's, that feels, you know, that feels hard. But like Jimmy Kimball's baby just had heart just surgery. Saw that. Yeah. Right. Did you see the picture of his baby connected to all those tubes and cords and casts and stuff like that? Well, his baby's going to have heart surgery again Mm -hmm. this summer. Six months. Yep. Exactly. And he's going to be a little older and he's going to be able to grab. Like, imagine what this will do to be able to protect his baby from pulling all of those things. You can't tell a six month old not to pull on cords, but a daddy will will come up, will see something like that and then just Just find the answer. (laughs) Right. Yep. He'll just find it. Yeah. I, I was talking to a dad yesterday and he was like, you know what? If the nurse at the NICU said that my baby needed hand socks, I'd, I, you know, I'd buy, I'd go on Amazon and buy a case of those things. Yeah. True story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you need to get in touch with all the children's hospitals and create some relationships there and give them some samples. Cause I think uh, that's a natural avenue if you haven't already done that. Yeah. So I, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I am in touch with actually probably five or six children's hospitals. We just picked up our first chain of pediatricians. Nice. Um, cause we're offering, I don't know if you can see this or not, but like logoed hand socks, this is our yeah. baby, but so logoed hand socks and customized stickers. We just became a sleep partner. Um, so safe sleeping because you think about the scratch on your baby's face, like partnerships, I think for business is really important too. So if you can find some strategic partnerships for me, that could be hospitals and pediatricians, but it could also be people in the industry that care about a cause like safe sleeping. So over the weekend, we partnered with a company for safe sleeping and we're coming out with a mitten that is a safe sleep, like branded stars and moons and things like that can help differentiate you and like help credibility, help build credibility to what you're doing. And I think that that's really important. So for hand socks, it's online sales and building awareness. Like 80% of what we're doing is that because the margin is better online and because um, we're we're hoping for organic growth within the community. And then 20% of what we're going to be doing is B2B. I'm not selling to Babies R Us. I'm selling to the Children's Hospital in San Francisco. 
I'm selling to the allergy and eczema associations, right? And so if you can find strategic partnerships where you can keep your margins up, but there's a, but there's a, a functional need for what it is that you've got, then I think that the chances that, um, that you can have a good, long, trusting partnership is better. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. How are you how are you finding those partnerships cuz I mean, I think like you said before raising that awareness when you're just starting out is probably one of the harder things to do. You know, how do you start identifying those partnerships and reach out to people to as you're kind of building this new product? Locally is easy because you can meet people face to face and they can feel your product and touch it. Um, so I've started with local pediatricians. And then once you get some, then it then then you have the credibility to call other pediatricians and say, hey, you know, we've got a chain of 20 pediatricians that give these out to their new patients, you know, as presents or in certain situations. So I think local for, for strategic partnerships and certain, um, I guess, lines of business would be ideal. But um, outside of that, like I used Upwork to data collect for me. Like I found somebody on Upwork to go in and like make a list of all the children's hospitals in the all of the US and all of the contacts in marketing and HR and supply so that I'm not spinning my wheels like trying to find that information. Now I have a list. And and so I've like delegated, right? Back to delegation. I delegated that task out to someone else and you know, I kind of identified uh, corporate B2B, like their HR folks, so they could give them to their employees having babies. So corporate B2B, hospitals, and pediatricians were my three areas that, 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 I, that I got lists to begin just calling and developing the relationships with. On the other side is other mom inventors. I mean, other mom inventors who have been doing this longer than I have have way more connections than I do in media, in manufacturing, in... I don't know. You just name it. Like they've done it, right? They've done right. it. They've been there and they want to help me. And so I think you can do that too with your product or your service. You connect with people that don't necessarily compete with you, but have the same audience and they know what you've been through and they want to help. So when are you going to Shark Tank? That's what I uh, <laughs> And how many times have you been asked that? I mean, I get asked about Shark Tank all the time. Um, <laughs> All the time. Oh my gosh, am I going to see you on Shark Tank? I'm like, oh, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> you know, Shark Tank always asks you what your sales are. And I've got to, I've got to sell a lot this year. You know, we sold $20,000 worth of hand socks last year and $10,000 the year before. They had just come in, we sold 10,000 and I was selling them slowly through boutiques. Like they were not on Amazon intentionally because I thought like, oh, boutiques like you know, niche product. I won't sell on Amazon. And so, yeah, that just really wasn't the right way for me to go. It I'm wasn't. Sure. I mean, we put them on Amazon last summer and sold out in four months. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, and I could have done that the first four months, right? right? I just was holding out. So like, I mean, we've been in business all this time. I just with the distribution, like just wasn't, I should have gone to Amazon much faster and I control them on Amazon because there's only one hand sock and it belongs to me. I'm not selling to retailers that are reselling on Amazon. So I'm not price competing with people. They're $15 no matter where you go. And, and that makes it pretty awesome too. But, um, I think the reason why we don't have more sales is because like I ran out of inventory and replenishing that inventory has been delayed. So that's, that's, that's been well, our big issue. That's a common problem when you're talking about manufacturing products, you know, just keeping that inventory flow so that you can keep selling products. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, so that, that's the Kickstarter, right? We did Kickstarter to launch the new collection. I'm placing that order this week. I'm actually buying 21,000 pair. I, we're not going to run out anytime soon. I'm just saying. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's been good. I mean, a lot of hurdles, um, but just a lot of value, you know, talking to parents that of children that don't have a hand that use hand socks, talking to children, um, talking to parents of children who suffer from skin conditions and are, are reducing re- re- uh, infection risk. It's just amazing. No matter what it is you're doing, like if you're passionate about it, sure. like just keep doing it and just keep talking to more people and just keep like praying and believing that it's going to happen and, you know, set big goals. I want my big goal is to help 100 million children worldwide. I mean, that's my goal. If we, if we were paying you $20 for every <laughs> episode of ours that you just emphasized in the last paragraph, you'd probably have about $10,000 <laughs> because you, you've, your passion, having big ideas and how to tackle them, the execution. I mean, all of that is things that we talk about on the show. Good. Well, I hope this has been really helpful. I mean, I, um, I love an audience of people trying to make things happen. I think you only live one life, you know, you got to use the time wisely because at the end, it's just going to be like, you know, what did you do with your spare time? Like, you know, how did, how did you, like, what impact did you have? And you can do it. Like, just keep doing it. Don't give up. Doesn't matter how little sleep you get. Um, you know, whatever. Like at the end of life, you're not going to be like, oh, I wish I slept more, right? No. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So. Honestly, this is, this is awesome because you're, I mean, you're making me excited to uh, go back to work, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's so refreshing to hear other people that, you know, are working late at night, trying to get stuff done and battling and, and really trying to get their passion and trying to push things forward. I mean, that's, that's really what entrepreneurship is all about is like just making it happen and grinding it out and people online and different people will make it look sexy and stuff like that. But no, it's, it's the hard work over a long period of time before you become <laughs> successful. That's so true. Totally true. Well, thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate you being on here today. And we'll have to have you back in like six months and do a recap and see, <gasps> oh and see where you are. Wouldn't that be fun? Hey, maybe yeah. I'll be on Shark Tank by then. And we could talk there about you it. There you go. There ah. you go. <laughs> so <laughs> how, uh, how can people keep up with you online and uh, find the hand socks? Oh, please. Yeah. So our hand socks um, Facebook page, we, we've got a Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter. And then you could just reach out to me directly if you need something. It's just Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at handsocks.com. And then just like spread the word. Like hand socks needs awareness. Like there are yeah. parents that need hand socks and don't know they exist. And so what I would ask of your community is just tell people about them, you know, get them for newborns. Um, you know, if you've got friends with babies that are recovering from surgery or have something specific going on, like help spread the news of hand socks. Um, and, you know, so that I can, I can meet that goal of affecting a hundred million babies. We give back to orphans for every pair, pair purchased. And so part of that hundred million is not just babies wearing hand socks, but also the effect that we have on children as we give. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, thanks, Casey. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank, Thank you, you guys. So Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stretch Goals Podcast. You can access the show notes for this episode and listen to other episodes by heading over to stretchgoals.fm.